The following audio is from the Grove Church Snohomish campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Well, again, good morning, Grove Church. My name is Andrew, and we are thrilled that you are here. If you are a guest with us, we want to especially say welcome to you. We are so thankful that you're checking out the Grove Church Snohomish. We've been in Snohomish since September 9th is when we launched, and God's doing amazing things. And obviously today was a very significant day where we got to share uh, in communion together. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6, and so they'll also be on the screen as well for you. Today, we continue our series talking, um, the series called Life Multiplied, Making the Most out of what God has given you or what God has given us. And uh, we've been talking about different areas of our lives that God's calling us to multiply. We've talked about prayer and, and the, the reading of scripture. We've talked about serving. We've talked about building the right foundation. Today, we're gonna be focusing in on marriage, okay? And so how many of you, you in here, you are married? Go ahead and raise your hand. All right, a lot of us. How many of you, you are looking to get married at some point in your life? Go ahead and raise your hand. Okay, absolutely. Here's what's so cool about this conversation. For you that are single, you may have already checked out. All right, another message about married people, for married people. This is not gonna be any joy in my heart. I wanna encourage you, if you are single, you need to be tuning in the most to this conversation because what I'm about to say, I think will be revolutionary to your future and to the spouse that you choose and for wherever God calls you to whoever he calls you to. And so if you are single, you're a young person, you're an older person and you are looking to get married or even remarried at some point, I wanna encourage you to listen up as long as you listen, I guarantee you God has something to say for you, to you about this topic. We've opened up this series with the question, lots of different questions, but the main question has been, who will you be when the clock strikes midnight on December 31st, 2019? What will be different about your life? As we, as we started this series coming into the new year, it's a great way to look at what do I want to become? Who do I want to become? What is God calling me to do with my life in the year 2019? When we think about the topic of marriage, I want you to consider this question. What will my marriage look like on December 31st, 2019, when the clock rings in to the new year? What will my marriage look like? If you're single in here, you're dating, consider this question. How have I prepared for marriage when the clock rings midnight on December 31st, 2019? How has God and how will God prepare you to be marriage ready so that when you do meet that spouse, you are ready to fulfill the responsibilities that God has called you in that relationship. And if you're already married, what will be different about your marriage relationship at the end of this year on December 31st, 2019? My wife Amanda and I, this is a significant year for us because we're celebrating 10 years of marriage this August. And I think that's a pretty significant thing in our world. So we're going on 10 years. We have two daughters, Lydia and June, three and one. And I'm gonna brag a little bit about our marriage because I really believe by God's grace, we have an incredible marriage because we work on our marriage. 
Because marriage takes a lot of work. This is going to be the kind of message today where I'm going to be reading a lot from my notes because I have a ton of content that I got to get through in about 35 minutes. And this is why I encourage you so much to take notes. And it doesn't have to be old-fashioned, you know, no paper and, and pen. That's how I take notes. I've taken notes like that my whole life. But some people, you're more tech-savvy and you got the note app on your phone or you have a special app that you use on your phone. I'm going to encourage you to get out your phone because I believe the next 30 minutes and the things I'm going to say about marriage are going to be helpful for every person in the room, young, single, married, engaged, dating, whatever the case may be. Let's start here. God has created us for community. Our lives are meant to be spent in relationship with others. This is not new information for us. We're we're called to be in relationship with other people. The Bible is chock full of being in relationship with others. And there are different kinds of relationships. This may seem very basic, but I want to start here. There are nominal relationships. These are the kind of people where we regularly take maybe our car to for the mechanic, or maybe it's the checker at the grocery store. These are nominal relationships, very surfacey type relationships. From there, there are acquaintances that are relationships. These are people we may see at the gym or at the park. These acquaintances may be people that we work with and we we know them, but they're more of an acquaintance. We're not that close to them, but because of our jobs or because of where we go to, you know, shop at or the neighborhood we live in, maybe there's acquaintances where you see someone and it's more of an acquaintance relationship. From there, there are friendships. And of course, they vary in degree, knowing from lifetime friendships to new friends, Or even, for example, we just launched life groups here at the Grove Church, and so maybe you're building new friendships with people in that life group that you've never met before, and those friendships are building. Maybe you're the kind of person where you've been friends with the same person that you went to kindergarten with, and now you're an adult and you guys are still best buds, and obviously those are lifetime friendships, years and years of investment, time spent, relationships that have happened through that. And then finally, there is the marriage relationship. The first thing we might note here is that the list gets shorter and shorter making your way down. We have hundreds of nominal relationships, lots of acquaintances. We might have quite a few friendships and even good family relationships. And if you don't have any of those under the good family or even even under the acquaintances, I wanna challenge you just for a minute here. So we just launched life groups here at the Grove Church just about three weeks ago. We currently have seven life groups that meet in homes all throughout the community here. Couples, mixed, men's, women's, those kind of groups. And I always encourage people, if you're looking to get to know someone in the church, you should get into a life group and begin to do life with others and build relationship with people. And there's always a group of people, and you might be one of them, that you're like, I'm in. I'm getting in a group. I'm joining a group. I'm in a group right now. I've done groups my whole life. Small groups have been how I have grown in my relationship with Christ. I love life groups. Then there's a group in here that says, you know, this is only my first time. You're already way too loud for me. I won't be coming back. And uh, the small group thing is just not my thing. I'm never joining the group. Leave me alone, okay? And that might be you. Then there's the people in the group who say these kind of things. I don't do groups, Okay, you're you're the kind of person that's like, that is not for me, I will never do that, and don't ever ask me to join a group, or in fact, lead a life group, okay? And if that's you, you're like, you know what, I just don't do groups, groups are not my thing. Hey, you know what, totally fine. Here's where I wanna challenge that though. If groups are not your thing, 
I wanna ask you this very, very important question. Who in your life helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Who in your life pushes you forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Because here's what I know. We all need accountability in relationships. You can come to church on a Sunday, hear a message, experience God's presence in worship, but unless you've connected with somebody on a regular basis who can help you sharpen and iron you out, as Proverbs teaches us, as one man sharpens another, as iron sharpens iron, unless you have that in your life, you will be limited on your growth and your connection and your relationship to Jesus Christ. Why? Because Christianity was never meant to be in isolation. You were never meant to grow alone. And so I want to encourage you and ask you to consider if you don't want to join a life group and you're that person that says, I'll never do it. Don't ask me to do it. I hate them. I want to challenge you. Well, who in your life is pushing you forward to become more and more like Jesus Christ? Because that is what God has called you to do. As we look to Matthew 19 and talk about marriage, let's read about what Jesus says here about marriage and the relationship of marriage. This is found in Matthew 19, four through six. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Let's pray for God's word today. God, I thank you so much that you've designed marriage as a beautiful reflection of your love for the church. And today, God, I know without a doubt that each one of us can glean and learn something from a message like this. God, even studying for this message this week, being married almost close to 10 years, and yet, God, I have room to grow. I have changes that need to be made. God, I can become a much better husband than I am today. And I pray today for every person, first of all, in the room, God, if they're single, God, I pray right now this message would help them prepare for one day will be a married life. I pray for those who are married, God, that this will help them strengthen and encourage their marriage. I pray for every other person in between, God, that you would speak through your word like you always do through the power of your Holy Spirit. And we thank you for, and all God's people said, amen. So Jesus here is dealing with religious leaders who are talking about divorce. His response to their question is, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any, of, any and every reason? In short, the answer is no. But here's more, here's more of what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 19. This is, again, why I want you to take so many notes, because I'm going to be focusing pretty much on my notes most of the day today. He confirmed the original design of marriage. That is to leave and cleave. All the way back to Genesis 2, we read that a man and a woman are designed to come out from the covering of previous authority, parents, and put their lives in one another's hands. Become one. This is where it gets challenging because it's no easy task to bring together two individuals with family histories personal backgrounds, personalities, genders, expectations, emotions, etc. Now, these next 10 points I'm going to give you come straight out of a book that I highly recommend. It is the best book I've ever read on the topic of marriage. It's written by a, a pastor and theologian. His name is Timothy Keller, and he wrote a book called The Meaning of Marriage. 
If you're a bookworm like me and you own one of those Kindles, which I just got one for Christmas, it's changing my life. The Meaning of Marriage by Timothy Keller, one of the best books I have ever read on the topic of godly marriage. These next 10 points are coming right from his book. So when you quote me later or say that was really good, you can thank Pastor Timothy Keller. Number one, talking about marriage. Marriage unites strangers. It doesn't matter how long you've dated, there are always surprises we can learn about one another on this journey called marriage. And since we're always undergoing change by age and experience, we can be strangers to one another and ourselves at any given time in marriage. Which leads to this second point. Number two, marriage is glorious but hard. We all know the honeymoon doesn't last long and we don't wake up every morning feeling in love or wanting to make out to Barry White. Yeah, girl. That just doesn't happen, okay? Now, I have a couple in my life group right now. I'm gonna pick on them a little bit today. Uh, Andrew and Abby Klesik, they've only been married for seven months. Oh man, what was that like? Seven months, okay? And they come into my house and man, they're cozying up on my couch and they are in love, okay? The sparks are flying, things are exciting. And here's the sad part, like it don't last. It just don't last. Like sometimes you just wake up to that person next to you and you're like, ah! Like that just happens, okay? You're like, what happened? You know, it just happens. The honeymoon doesn't last forever. I'll never forget. One of the best advice I got when I got married was from my pastor. He said, dude, it's going to be crazy. Your wedding's going to be in a blur, and it's going to be nuts. You're going to barely remember anything. It's so crazy. All this work, all this money, all this planning, you're going to get married. So, dude, somehow you just got to get yourself in this place where you take mental you know, images of, of different things you want to remember about your wedding day because it just really is a blur. Ten years later, he's right. I mean, majority of my wedding, I don't really remember a whole lot, but there were a few little moments that I remember. One of them I remember was, um, I was we got married at a church, old church in the U District in Seattle because my w- wife wanted the stained glass windows. And I remember I was standing on, I think it's 20th or, I don't know, 45th and 20th with my back turned to the church. And it was like the big reveal where, you know, you get to see your bride for the very first time. And I'll never forget, I was standing there and I'm just waiting and I'm waiting. And I hear like a little chattering behind me. And I'll never forget when Amanda like touched my shoulder and I turned around and I saw her all beautiful, all done up in her beautiful wedding dress. I can close my eyes still almost 10 years ago, and I still remember exactly what she smelled like, what she looked like, how beautiful and amazing she was that day. And it's awesome. But that feeling and that kind of love and that kind of excitement and that kind of passion, if we're being honest and we've been married for any length of time, no offense, it doesn't last. It doesn't last. Marriage is glorious but hard. There are seasons of marriage that are amazing and incredible and glorious and wonderful and beautiful. And then there are times in life and in marriage where things are really, really hard. Where you feel more like strangers and less like lovers and best friends. And that's a reality. And so it unites strangers, but it's also glorious and hard. Kind of along the same thing here. It's difficult and rewarding. It's difficult and rewarding. It's both things. One of the quotes here from 
Timothy Keller, I think we have this one on the screen. I don't have them all on the screen, but I have this one on the screen. Listen to what he writes. This is in meaning of marriage. A good marriage, do I have this one? Maybe I don't. A good marriage, yes I do, yes I do. A good marriage is more painfully hard to achieve than athletic or artistic prowess. Raw natural talent does not enable you to play baseball as a pro or write great literature without enduring discipline and enormous work. Why would it be easy to live lovingly and well with another human being in light of what is profoundly wrong within our human nature? He goes on to say, if God had the gospel of Jesus' salvation in mind when he established marriage, then marriage only works to the degree that approximates the pattern of God's self-giving love in Christ. Catch this last part. This is very powerful here. Start here, Paul says, speaking to the Apostle Paul. Do for your spouse what God did for you in Jesus, and the rest will follow. Powerful book. I want to encourage you to pick it up if you're looking to grow in your marriage. We're going to keep going here for a time. Number four here, which leads to marriage requires mutual grace. Paul writes in Colossians, make room for each other's faults. This is found in 3.13. Why? Because nobody's perfect and living that close to someone else will bring out stuff that will drive you nuts, okay? It's just a reality. The more you live with someone in a married relationship, the more things you find out about them that drive you absolutely bonkers. Can I hear an amen? Come on, people, get alive in here and get real, okay? Let me just tell you about some of my pet peeves. I'm not even gonna touch and pick on at all whatsoever my amazing and beautiful, awesome wife of almost 10 years. I'm gonna pick on myself and myself only. But these are my pet peeves, and she knows about them because she's been married to me for almost 10 years. Number one, I hate being late. I hate it. I hate being late to anything. Therefore, I love being early. And this drives my Amanda crazy, okay? Absolutely crazy. My dad taught me this years ago when I was a kid. Andrew, if you're late, you don't care. If you're on time, that's expected. But if you're early, you're ready. Okay? And this drives my wife crazy. In close to 10 years of working at the Grove Church, I have probably on one hand can count how many times I was actually late to work. I rarely call in sick. I'm usually early to any party I'm invited to. I'm usually early to any service. In college, I would get so early to the class that I would see the custodian cleaning the classroom before the class was even open. I'm weird, okay? And this drives my wife crazy especially now that we have kids and I'm downstairs and I'm all ready to go and she's still upstairs and I'm like, let's go. Like it's time to go. This drives her crazy. I hate being late to anything. Number two, I can't go to bed with a dirty kitchen. Can't do it. I cannot do it. It drives me mentally insane to wake up to a dirty kitchen, okay? And so I know some of you ladies are like, well, then clean it, right? Okay, I do. Okay, I do a lot because I hate a dirty kitchen. I just can't stand it. 
When I wake up in the morning, I want the kitchen clean because I want to be able to eat breakfast in peace. And when the kitchen's dirty, I can't focus, okay? Listen, I'm weird, okay? This is something weird about me. I, I can't go to bed with a dirty kitchen. Number three, and this is a newer one, but it's probably been like this for a few years now. I like a hot breakfast every morning. I like a hot breakfast every single morning. Every morning, I like hot breakfast. Cereal, milk, no way. That's for teenagers, okay? A little bagel on the road, no. I want a hot breakfast every single morning. This is just who I am. I like eggs. I like toast. I like bacon. I hate pop without ice. I hate it. Doesn't matter how cold the pop is in the fridge. Doesn't matter how freezing cold. I want that pop in a glass, not plastic, but glass, okay? Drinking pop out of plastic is just like sinful, okay? But a pop in glass with ice cubed, not crushed, no matter how cold it is, I love the sound of it being poured and I love it over cold ice. I'm weird, you guys. This is so weird. I gotta, be, I gotta confess all the weirdness about me, okay? We're talking about how this marriage requires mutual grace, okay? I like watching the Today Show. Don't judge me, okay? Don't, all right? I watch it every morning. Don't judge me, okay? I love Hoda's morning boost. I'm weird, okay? Don't judge me, okay? And I like grocery shopping, all right? right? So these are just things about me, okay? I like having a list. I like checking things off. I like saying hi to the checker. I make conversation with strangers. I'll call my wife and be like, they're out of this brand. What about this brand? She's like, that's fine. Just get home. I need you, you know? It's awesome. I love this kind of stuff. But marriage requires mutual grace. And you have your own list. I mean, if I were to sit down to you or have you raise your hand, you have your own list of your little pet peeves and little things you like to do and weird things that, uh, you know, make bug you or make you happy. And it requires mutual grace because when you find someone that you fall in love with and God's brought you the person that you're going to marry, what you begin to realize is they come with a backpack all full of stuff. And you came to marriage with a backpack all full of stuff. And it's year and time and months and days and seasons where you're taking things out of the backpack and really figuring out who it is you really married. And it requires such mutual grace. Can I hear an amen? Number five, marriage, it revolves around service. We hear verses from the Bible, but we should also have this lens. This is my commandment, that you love one another. This is John chapter 15 and verse 12, that you love one another as I have loved you. No greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Paul says in a different letter in Philippians, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. It revolves around service. Now this next portion of the message I almost took out. So I'm like, you know what? Everyone's just going to think I'm bragging. Oh, well, look how amazing you are. Wow, you're just an incredible person. Oh my word. I wish I had found you. But I want to be honest right now what I'm about to say because I feel like what I'm about to say, although I think is a really important thing in marriage, what I'm finding more and more when I talk to couples and families and sit down with you know, singles and marriage, what I'm finding is that none of the things that I do in my marriage are actually normal. And I find that to be a very, very big problem and very alarming to, to me personally when Jesus calls us to lay down our lives for our spouse, 
to take on this scripture, no greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And when I look at that, what does it look like for Andrew Munoz to lay down his life for his best friend, Amanda Munoz? What does that look like on a day-to-day basis? I'll tell you right now what it looks like. My morning routine. I'm up at about quarter to 5 a.m. every single morning now. This is going on for about two and a half years now, so I haven't been like this way my whole life. I'm up at about a quarter to five every single morning. I'm out the door by 5.15, into the gym by 5.30. I'm done with the gym by 6.30. I come home. I, Liddy's already awake. She runs downstairs. Her and I have breakfast together. I make her breakfast. June and mom are still asleep. I make them breakfast. I make Manda's coffee. When Manda comes down the stairs, on the table is her coffee and her sandwich or whatever I made for her that day because I love a hot breakfast. I didn't say I love when my wife makes me a hot breakfast. I said I love a hot breakfast. I've been doing this for years now. I clean, I cook, I vacuum, I change diapers, I bathe my kids, I always fill my wife's gas tank. And when I say all these things, what I hear people say to me of my gender, they say, well, I work. Well, I provide. Can I tell you that that is just the beginning of what God has called you to do and laying down your life for your spouse. I know people, and no offense guys, I know people that won't do any of these things thinking that they're above them. And I'm here to tell you, no, you are not. You are not above any of those things. In fact, I don't even believe in the traditional roles that women do this and men do this, and this is how it's always gonna be. I don't even believe that. I don't even think the Bible teaches that. The Bible says, serve your spouse. The Bible says, lay down your life for your spouse. Bible says, take up your cross and follow hard after me. And I've dedicated my life with humility and grace. And I'm not perfect. And man, I can tell you about all the horror stories. I've dedicated my life to serving my wife. Because it is powerful what happens when you lay down your life for your spouse. Marriage It's not about one gender submitting to another gender. Marriage, if you read the beginning of Ephesians 5, marriage is about mutual submission. Mutual submission. Sure, there's roles and responsibilities that get played out in the male and female gender, but it's mutual submission. And I want to challenge you today to consider this question in your marriage. Is your marriage marked by grace and service. Is it marked by grace and service? Do you find yourself thinking more about how to serve your spouse than serve yourself, or do you find yourself always thinking about what you want and how you're gonna get it and what you're gonna do? Because it takes work. I wanna serve my spouse, I wanna serve my Amanda with my greatest heart, because that is what God has called me to do. It revolves around service. A couple of years ago, me and my brother-in-laws did a 30-day challenge. I don't even remember what it was called, and I can find out later from uh, one of them, but it was this 30-day challenge. And basically, it was taking 30 days in a row and committing to doing one thing for your spouse every single day for 30 days. And there were some days that I had missed, and there were some days that I would hear what, you know, one of them was doing. I'm like, wow, I didn't do that. That's amazing. I need, to, I need to step it up. But it was this intentional thing of going, okay, guys, for the next 30 days, we're going to do something for our spouse, for our wife, every single day. And some of them were as simple as go grocery shopping. 
Some of them are as simple as clean the bathroom. Some of them are as simple as give her a break and watch the kids so she can go have a coffee and have some breathing room. One of them was um, let her come home to a soaking bath, let her have time to herself. One of them was, uh, I don't even remember. There's all these little random things, 30 days in a row. I'll tell you what it did for every single one of our marriages. It definitely strengthened them. It definitely strengthened every single one of our marriages. Maybe that's something that, that, that you're challenged to do. Maybe in your life group this week, as you're interacting with families and couples and relationships, maybe that's a challenge that you have to come to to go, hey, you know what? I need to take some challenge on. I need to change something about my approach because marriage revolves around service. Number six here, as we continue on here, marriage is a covenant of action. Marriage changes how we act and interact with others. When we are married and in a covenant relationship with the opposite sex, for me, my wife Amanda, we don't look for romance or sexual outlets in other people. We respect communication. If we're, one, if we're running late, we call. If we hurt them, we apologize. We don't call and ask to stay the night at a friend's house or just not come home some nights. When we're making purchases, we discuss them instead of driving up in our new car or new toy. We have one joint account, and it's not my money, it's our money. Let me just read these just one more time because I know this is sinking in for all of us about what God calls marriage to be. Marriage is a covenant of action. It changes how we act and interact with others. We don't look for romance or sexual outlets in other people. We respect communication. If we're running late, we call. If we hurt them, we apologize. If we, we don't call and ask to stay the night at a friend's house or just not come home some nights, when we're making purchases, we discuss them. Instead of driving up in our new car or new toy, we have one joint account. It's not my money, it's our money. You know how many relationships and couples I've talked to, not even as a counselor, because I'm not a professional counselor, I'm just a pastor. And I'll sit down with couples who've been married for 20 years and I say, well, tell me a little bit about your finances. 20 years. And the guy's like, well, I have my account, she has her account and that's the way it is. No, it's not the way it is. You're one. There's a problem in that relationship. Well, she doesn't need to know about what's going on with the finances, I take care of it. Wrong again. Poor communication, unhealthy pattern, bad marriage. One, leave and cleave. The two shall become one. The two shall become one. There shouldn't be surprises like this. You shouldn't come home to the mail and open up a visa statement or open up something and realize, wait a second, what were you doing here? Oh, don't worry about it. What were you doing here? Don't worry about it. It doesn't work like that in marriage. It may work like that in the world standard of marriage. It may work like that in every other person you know at your job. It may work like in every neighborhood that you live in, that that's the kind of marriage that they have. But in a Christ-centered, God-honoring marriage, it is all one. It's all one. I'm amazed when I hear from people that say, oh, yeah, I'm just out with the guys, and I didn't even let my wife know where I was going. What? In almost 10 years of marriage to my Amanda, I have never done that. I have never just not come home and tell, and tell her that I'm just busy doing stuff. That doesn't happen in my marriage. I want to encourage you today 
That no matter what culture may say about marriage and relationship, the bar is way more higher than where you and I may think it is. Keller says, sanctification is a group project and most intense between two spouses. On the one hand, the experience of marriage will unveil the beauty and depths of the gospel to you. It will drive you further into reliance on it. On the other hand, a greater understanding of the gospel will help you experience deep union with each other as the years go on. This is the reason that marriage is so painful and yet so wonderful is because it is a reflection of the gospel, which is painful and wonderful at once. Lastly here, and then I want to share a couple stories here. Number seven, marriage is not the end all be all. Marriage is not the end all be all. As Christians, we find our identity and fulfillment in Christ first. We find it in Christ first. See, a lot of times when I talk to young people and I talk to single people, they think, if I only got married, if I was only married, fill in the blanks would happen. If I only found Mr. Dreamy, Mrs. Dreamy, it would all work out. I want you to write this one down. If you're single, getting married won't fix your problems. It will enhance them. Oh man, this is so good. If you are single and you are wanting to get married and you got issues and problems, whether you have financial problems, relationship problems, job problems, responsibility problems, bad habit problems, and you think that if you find so-and-so, whoever that so-and-so is, that somehow that will fix your problem, it will not, it will only shed more light on how big that problem is. Man, this is so good, Andrew. Wow, this is so good. Gosh, you're preaching so good today. Thank you, Andrew. Amen. Amen. I tell you this about people who want to get married because I think people think if I get married, everything will work out. If I find that spouse, it'll just all be better and life will be amazing. I want to encourage you that one of the best things that you can do as a young person, as a single person, as a divorce looking to get remarried someday is to build your life centered on Jesus Christ and the word of God. It's to prepare yourself spiritually for the day that you meet that person, however God makes that happen. So that when you meet that person, they're not meeting someone that's full of debt, insecure, broken, messed up, having a hard time, and they meet you and somehow they're going to save you. We call that missionary dating and it never works. It never works. What you want to begin to do as a young person, as a single person, as a divorce remarried, or you've never been married, you want to be married someday, what you want to do is begin to prioritize your life to be one with Jesus Christ. Because ultimately what should happen is marriage is one person pursuing Jesus with all their heart, another person pursuing Jesus with all their heart, and then they meet together, and then they both pursue Jesus with all their heart. Okay, all right, all right, we're done today. All right, a couple thoughts here. With kids and relationships, I have two kids, two daughters, Lydia and June, three and a half 
and 13 months. One of the greatest thoughts I've thought about with marriage, and Pastor Nick has talked to me, taught me so much about this, is that eyes are watching. Little eyes are watching. And they're seeing everything. And if you're married, you don't have kids, just get ready. Because they're going to watch and see everything. Do, do they see you being affectionate and loving and kissing? And they're like, grow, stop. Awesome. Awesome if they're saying those things. Do they look at your marriage and your relationship and think to themselves, man, I want to get married someday, but I never want to get married like that. Do, do they look at your marriage and your relationship and go, if I, if I get married, I hope it never turns out like this. Or the opposite, do they look at your marriage and your relationship between husband and wife and mommy and daddy and go, oh man, I want that. Oh, I desperately want that. I want a man that treats my mom like this. I want a, a woman that treats her man like this. I want that. The two greatest compliments my kids could give me are these. Number one, you showed me Jesus. And number two, I want a marriage like yours. Number one, you showed me Jesus. And number two, I want a marriage like yours. Keller, once again, whether we are husband or wife, we are not to live for ourselves before the other. And that is the hardest yet single most important function of being a husband or a wife in marriage. The apostle Paul is applying to marriage a general principle about the Christian life. Namely, that all Christians who really understand the gospel undergo a radical change in the way they relate to people. We wrap up with this last story here. Last night, Lydia and I, the worship team, you guys can make, up, make your way up here because we're running out of time. Last night, Lydia and I, we got to do the father-daughter dance. It's our second year doing this. She's three and a half, and uh, it was wild. It was crazy. We were whipping and naying. It was awesome, you guys, okay? It was nuts. And it was the coolest thing because I went to the, the store to pick up. I, I get her a flower. Last year, I just got like one of these plastic. Okay, it, was a, it was a real rose, like in a plastic tube. And I ran in real quick to look for those. And I'm like, oh, man, they don't have those. So I went to the lady up front, uh, to the florist lady. I said, hey, I just need one rose. I just need one rose. And she's like, oh, okay. She's like, is this for the father-daughter dance? I mean, she loved it. I'm like, yeah, no, it is. I'm like, but I'm in a hurry. I got to get my daughter. We have to get ready and get, get to the restaurant. She's like, okay, no problem. I said, you know what? Just give me the rose. It's okay. You don't need to worry about all the work and all the, you know, all the fluff and the wrapping and all that. She's like, now you're just going to wait a minute, aren't you? Right? I mean, she was telling me, man. She was totally owning me. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll wait a minute. She said, you know why you're going to wait? I said, well, yeah, why am I going to wait? You know, I'm just trying to be patient with her. She said, this is what she said. She said, because daughters learn about love and respect through how their dads treat them growing up. <laughs> Stash this one away. Like, put that in here. Like, what? But here's what's so cool. We're dancing. She's three and a half. She's twirling. She's going crazy. She's not listening. It's awesome. It's awesome. 
I'm chasing around. We're getting sweaty. We're getting crazy. We're having the time of our lives. It's awesome. The other day she says, Daddy, I'm never getting married. I'm going to live with you forever. I'm like, I love you so much. I love you so much. She didn't say that. By God's grace, hear it today. I talk about her and I a lot. And eventually little Junie will be coming around. By God's grace, and I say this with all humility and grace, I have set the bar so high for my girls. So high. I want them to see and know and understand that this is how a man should love his bride. I want them to see it. I want them to experience it. I want them to catch it. I want them to know that your future husband is going to pamper you, is going to pursue you, is going to love you, is going to respect you physically, emotionally, and drive you towards Jesus Christ. That's what I want for them. I want them to see, I want them to see me up at 5 a.m. every single day, making them breakfast. I want them to see them serving their family, not just in my provision and working for them and taking care of bills, but in my attitude, in my communication, in my example, so that someday when I gotta do the painful thing that some of you dads have already had to do and let her go. That's you have met the man standing before God and witnesses that loves Jesus with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loves his neighbor as himself. And you want that too. If you have daughters, you want that too. By God's grace, I pray you're married to someone like that too. And I pray that we would raise the bar in our culture. We would raise the bar in our world to go, this is what marriage looks like. It looks like laying down your life for your spouse. And God will be honored by it and he will use it to bring others to him. Let me pray for you today. God, I thank you so much for my marriage. First and foremost, God, almost 10 years of faithfulness, of hard work, of dedication. And no, God, we have not arrived. But I thank you, God, that we're going another 10, another 20, another 30, a lifetime for Amanda and I. And I pray today, right now, for every single person in this place. They hear these stories, their hearts are moved, they wanna be married, they want to find a person, God, that loves you. I pray more than anything, Jesus, you would make them more like you, Jesus. They would fall more in love with you, Jesus. They would know your leading, they would know your voice. So that someday, God, when that opportunity comes, they'll be ready with the right foundation to pursue the right person towards you, God. And now for every marriage in the room, whether it's seven months or 50 years, whether it's little kids and the craziness of, of diapers and late nights and early mornings, or it's the empty nesters and in a whole new season, I pray today for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit onto every marriage. I pray for strength. I pray for vitality. I pray for your encouragement to rise in every heart, God. And I pray, Lord, more than anything, that if a marriage is struggling today, Lord, they would get the help they need to move towards you, to move towards each other. That, Lord, that divorce rate that's the same in the church as the world would begin to cease in the name of Jesus. That we would begin to model healthy marriages and healthy families and healthy children and our life would begin to multiply. And our neighbors and our coworkers will ask us about our relationships, about our marriages, and we'll be able to say, this is how you should do it. Follow me as I follow Christ. 
So I pray your strength in every heart today. Every marriage that feels broken, every marriage that feels like maybe it's on life support today, I pray, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would strengthen it, you would bring comfort, you would bring your provision. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Snohomish Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.